Welcome back to the Acting Podcast, a podcast for the real life working screenwriter. I am Tasha Hugh. And I am Josh Hallman. And as a reminder, Act 2 is a network and support group for the everyday working screenwriter, of which this podcast is just one of the things we do. Thank you for joining us here. And thank you to all of you who subscribe to the podcast and who give us feedback. We love it. We appreciate it. We need it. If you'd like to DM us with questions, topics, suggestions, or feedback, or if you just want to say hi, you can reach out to us at act2writers at gmail.com, which is all spelled out, or on our Instagram and Twitter at act2writers. I'm on the things, uh, Story Thursday on Instagram and Twitter at Tasha 3.0. And I am Joshua Hallman on Twitter, Josh Hallman on Instagram. And today we are talking about a writing craft thing. We're getting back to the craft mm-hmm. and screen craft always posts these interesting lists. It's like the BuzzFeed for, <laughs> for screenwriting. <laughs> I'm sure that's exactly what screen craft <laughs> thinks it's doing. <laughs> and they posted this thing, which was kind of interesting, about eight sequence structure. And the basic idea is you have a 120 minute movie that can be broken down into eight sequences of roughly 12 to 15 minutes each, mm-hmm. which there was an interesting little factoid at the top of this list, because according to ScreenCraft, and I've done no research of my own on this at all, mm-hmm. um, but according to ScreenCraft, they said that back in the days when we had film reels, and the film reels needed to be changed in the movie theater. It would take a few moments to change those. And so screenwriters would need to write to these kind of cliffhangers so that the audience wouldn't just leave the theater because they're bored. So it's, it's basically like a commercial break within actual theatrical released movies. So they kind of had to think about this eight sequence structure and that's where it all started. So that's a cool origin story if that is true and... That is the intro I have today. No, that's a great intro. I, 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 I saw this article and I actually found it pretty interesting because we, I mean, we, we've talked about structure. We always talk about structure. Whenever I see somebody's outline or someone else's structure, I'm just really interested in it. I came across, and I think I sent it to you, the very light outline for The World's End, which was an Edgar Wright film. And it was on side. I don't remember you sending this to me. I did. We were like, we're going to talk about it on the podcast. And I was God like, damn it. Tasha, have you seen The World's End? And then you said, Paul wants me to see it. And then we had like a 10-minute conversation that was very memorable <laughs> <laughs> for all of us. And um, But it was broken. It, 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 the way, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to post this. What I'm talking about right now, I'm going to post this okay. on our uh Twitter feed because it's so interesting. It breaks down the world's end and it's, I'm just really interested in when structure breaks things down into little segments and everyone tries to simplify this shit because it's really complicated. Yeah. I remember it now. You sent a picture of it. Uh It was like a, it was a whiteboard. Yeah. Yeah. You're making shit up right now. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so happy because you used to just tell the truth and now you've come to the dark side. (laughs) You just lie on the fly. I don't have time for the truth anymore. Lie, 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 <laughs> Yeah, lie. the truth is whatever you want it to be. So anyway, structure. It's just a crazy structure. thing. People ask about it, right? Because whenever I have, yeah. like, let me just, on the, on like go, the, go. the very like base level of this, the way I always look at structure is obviously you have act one, you have act two, and you have act three. But yeah. in act two, you have like act two A and act two B. Yeah. And that's, that's it. That's just how I look at structure. But now it's Act 2, A.1, Act 2, A.2, Act 2, 
B.1 to actually <laughs> B.2, which is what we'll talk about today. And I, I struggle with this a, a lot, like story structure. And you and I have talked about this on the podcast and on our own. We're like, I feel like neither of us are proponents of structural rules. We hate rules. Mm. I feel like outside, outside of writing, I'm a rule follower. Inside of writing, I'm a huge rebel. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, I just don't, I don't like it because... I remember young Tasha would take all of these, you know, when I'm when I'm trying to figure out how to even write a screenplay to begin with and how to write one that that works for the market, like all the things you start to think about as you're learning how to write screenplays. I would read all these structure books. It would be overwhelming because when they talk about structure in these books and on these lists and stuff, they make it sound like you have to write your movie and your story to that structure, like meaning the structural beats are how you get your ideas is how it always read to me Mm. because they would, you know, they would like break down Indiana Jones and make it seem like Indiana Jones is beaded out this way because they wanted to write a movie with this kind of structure versus just having the idea of Indiana Jones. And I don't know if that makes sense, but I've had to learn to reverse that where it's like, I come up with my story first. I come up with the, you know what I want to tell and maybe even how it ends and some of the main turning points. I have that already in my head. Yeah. And then when I sit down to figure out, okay, how do I make this cool idea into a movie? That's when I start looking at some of these templates, these structure templates to be like, okay, that's right. I need my midpoint at, you know, around middle of the movie, around that 50 minute mark. Okay. How do I get to that? Well, I need, you know, my a turning point to get into act two. And it's just like, it's starting to layer in those beats, but only after I've come up with my story first. So like, I guess that's my sort of caveat to yeah. this whole structure conversation we're about to have. No, totally. And I, I really feel like, especially in a first draft, unless you have a very like, ex, you know, extensive outline that is to the point in a first draft, a lot of times you just want to write. And that's like 150 yeah. pages of, whatever your story is, and that could be trimmed down later to 90 pages or 100 pages or 110 or whatever it is. So a lot of times I find myself not even following any structure. It's just like getting mm-hmm. moments down. Well, I think once you get into it, by the way, like you start to learn, like structure becomes sort of innate mm-hmm. and you, you know where you need all the stuff and you stop needing to look at totally. these templates. You're just like, all right, listen, nothing's happened. No one cares about these characters anymore something has to happen. Yeah, you can feel it if there's a bunch of dead space. But also if you find you've written your 150 page vomit draft and you're like, oh, there's so much dead space, that's also a time I think to come back to something like this eight sequence story structure we're about to talk about and be like, okay, that's right. Like every 15 pages, I don't have something interesting happening that's a turning point. So maybe I need to rethink how my characters get from point A to point B now. Yeah. So they could be ways to, to like tighten story that you have as well. I think Josh and I would just caution using structure as your very first stepping stone to yeah. coming up with your ideas. Yeah. All right. Okay. Let's should get we, into it. Should we fucking get into this? Yeah. <sighs> okay. Eight okay. sequence structure. You want me to dive in? Am I doing this? Let's do it. Okay. Yeah. So you know what? Let me just shout out this author real quickly. Britain Perelman. Perelman? Perelman? Britain. (laughs) Can I read? (laughs) I'm Ron Burgundy. Um, This is on ScreenCraft. I I feel like we have to, you know, give a shout out. All right. Absolutely. The eight sequence structure as broken down here is act one is made up of sequence one and two. Act two is sequence three, four, five, and six. Act three is sequence seven and eight. And the way that they have this is in sequence one, it's your introductions, 
which is pretty cut and dry. It's, it's introducing us to the world, our characters, a sense of what this movie is. It's the intro. And they, according to this, it ends with the inciting incident. And it also says that it hints at upcoming conflicts and tension, and you learn the basic premise of the story. I think this is super important because I know I am a fan of the slow burn. I get caught in my own way when it comes to the slow burn, and I've read plenty of scripts that the first, this first sequence, this first 12 to 15 page moment of your screenplay is real, real slow. And it's maybe just a character walking through their day, and it's not setting up that the question of the movie or the conflicts that are to come um, or even like hinting if like there's pl plenty of scripts I've read um, that where it's actually a horror movie, mm. but you don't know that in the first 15 pages. And that doesn't mean like you have to have a scare in the first 15 pages, but the tone is just not there. And there's, it actually like starts as a you know, family comedy <laughs> and then turns into a horror. You're like, wait, what? Yeah. And that just creates confusion. So when you first intro your, your movie in that first kind of, if you think of them as like mini movies, right? These 12 to 15 minute mini movies, that's the first intro to your entire world. So what do you want to say with it? Uh, I think that's just an important way of looking at it. Yeah. And I'm just going to echo something you said, why this is like such an interesting thing is I love the idea of mini movies and I love the idea of writing something that ends with a cliffhanger. And yeah. in this case, it's like, if I could master that, like, which is something I always try to do is writing where it it's so engaging it's always ending with the cliffhanger where you just want to keep going. And I feel like yeah. that's what this is trying to do. Yeah, I think that's exactly what it's trying to do. And it's such a smart way of telling a story. Mm -hmm. And that's not that you should fabricate these hooks, but if that feels organic to your storytelling, and, it, it, and it's something that you can go back and do, by the way, like we were talking about, if you've written the draft you love and you can go back and be like, okay, at my page 15 or at my, where my first sequence ends in my movie, is there something exciting that happens that makes the audience want to continue to read or to continue to watch if this was actually made? Those are just really important questions to ask yourself. I can feel like a voice in my head being like, you're selling out because you're trying to do hooks. And like, that's not what it is. It's just trying to write an engaging story. So if this helps you do that, which it helps me do that, then um, I think that's great. Yeah. I feel like I'm continually trying to justify why we're talking about no, this No, totally. Topic. Me too. <laughs> why is that? Why? Yeah. All right. All right. <laughs> I don't okay. know. Because we, we hate structure. All right. All right. Sequence two um, is the dilemma. So after your introduction, you're, you're, you're talking, your 12 to 15 minute movie now is the dilemma. So after the inciting incident, there's usually a period of time in which the protagonist considers the call to action where they debate whether or not to leave their familiar, comfortable world and proceed into the unknown. That's what happens in the sequence. Though, of course, it will look different in every story. So by the end of sequence two, the protagonist is on the journey that will take them to the end of the movie and there's no turning back. That's quote unquote from ScreenCraft. Yeah. I love the last bit that the protagonist is on the journey that will take them to the end of the movie and there is no turning back. Mm -hmm. That really, that's your break into act two when we talk about the call to action. I hate that term because it doesn't, doesn't make sense. Like I, I hate it. Like that shuts my brain down. When we start using terms like that, that shuts my brain down and it makes me feel like I'm writing really formulaic. But if you tell me I need at the end of this section for my protagonist to now have, you know, their entire status quo world turned upside down. So there's no turning back that I understand. <laughs> you know what? I think I know why we're just justifying everything here. We're, we're, we're working through our own issues is because this is like, it moves into like save the cat territory, which great, yeah. fine book. I love it. I love all the screenwriting books. And 
there are, it's like, it's weird because there are no rules to screenwriting aside from just make or tell an engaging yeah. story that makes people turn the fucking pages of the script or swiping if you're reading on an iPad probably. And it, I feel like we're now advocating for rules, which is weird, but we're not. So we're justifying we're why not. we're not. We're just saying. That's it. Okay. Yeah, uh, this is therapy. <laughs> Clearly this is hitting on one of our issues. Jesus. Uh, yeah. Okay. Sequence number three. The first obstacle. Now, by this point, we are starting act two. The protagonist has officially entered the new world. And during sequence number three, the protagonist faces their first real obstacle. New tensions and conflicts arise and stakes are raised. So we're in it. There's no turning back. We're in it. And the new world is upon us. That's mm-hmm. number three. Sequence three, mm-hmm. I mean. Yeah, I also call this the fun of the premise. So once we've broken out of act one, we're at the first obstacle. Um, I think it's helpful to think of it as a first obstacle because, you know, your character's entering this new world that you're putting them in, whether it's literally, uh, you know, you're going to Neverland mm-hmm. or it's just I've joined the police force and I'm now on the beat. Mm-hmm. And I know nothing about causes and terminology on the beat. Yeah, okay. no, you're, um, that's, that's, that's really good. <laughs> so like that, those are equally new worlds. So what is the first obstacle there? Because if I'm watching a movie, I want conflict, right? I want my my character who is not a cop and is now a cop to have to face some new, you know, life thing. Like it's different now to be a cop and maybe there's prejudice or maybe there's crime that's you that's ah. Okay, I should really stop at the the world I don't know anything about. Yeah, no, keep um, going. This is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> watching me implode <laughs> I'm just sipping my water be, like ah. point is this sh- should be new tension new conflict and an attempt for your character to solve new problems in this world they either fail or they succeed but there's something engaging going on here that's why we're calling it a first obstacle and i think that makes sense yes anyway sequence four some might call sequence four the fun and games of the movie. I would not because I call sequence three fun and games of the movie. <laughs> um, in sequence four, the protagonist faces another obstacle or dilemma that comes as a direct result of what happened in sequence three. This sequence usually ends with a midpoint. Okay, so this list is starting to piss me off a little bit. I got to tell you something, Tasha. Yeah. This is like a midpoint twist that I'm giving you in this podcast. Oh, shit. This is starting <laughs> to make sense to me. No! <laughs> I'm like, you know what? Yeah. <laughs> I get it. I get it. I understand. This is, again, where I would write my screenplay first and see if I can't make my script better and tighter and more exciting by referring to this rather than writing to it. I don't know how to write to... The protagonist faces another obstacle or dilemma that comes as a direct result of what happened in sequence three. That feels like I'm suddenly fabricating an obstacle to get to this midpoint. And I hate that feeling. Mm. Instead, it's like, as a writer, you want to be like, what is your character feeling? Who are they right now? What do they want? And how does what they want get them into trouble or, you know, propel the story forward? And... Then I'll go, okay, now that I've written this story of my character being propelled forward by their own issues, their own flaws, and their own wants, is there a dilemma in that? Is there obstacles in that that's caused by that first obstacle, meaning something they have done themselves to propel the movie forward? I think what this is trying to say is like cause and effect. Yeah. From the beginning, in this sequence three, the first part of act two, you know, you're in this new world and now 
you're doing these new things and now the effect it's it's like the the whiplash of what just happened in sequence three is now happening in sequence four yeah hey let's talk about maverick <laughs> oh okay <laughs> sure so the break into two is is now I am going to Top Gun, right? I'm going to Top Gun and I am going to fly this awesome mission because obviously they're going to choose me Maverick to do this impossible mission. Mm -hmm. And then the first obstacle is no, actually, we don't want you to be the awesome pilot. We want you to train the awesome pilots. And so the sequence four is, okay, my first, I've gone past my first obstacle, which is I've accepted that I'm going to be a teacher now and that sucks. But the promise of the premise is leading up to the midpoint is now let me let me have fucking fun with these cadets. And mm -hmm. it's Tom Cruise training everyone and everyone failing and no one being as good as Maverick. That's kind of what this sequence is to me. I agree. All right. Okay. So we're after the midpoint. Sequence five, they call the twists and turns. Sequence five usually contains the twists and turns of act two. This is when secrets are revealed. Relationships are tested. Tensions rise. Obstacles get more challenging to overcome, and the protagonists or protagonists are really put in, to the test. In this sequence, the protagonist typically rebels against whatever growth they've been confronted with, wanting instead for things to stay the same. I'm starting to get angry. I mean, I, I, no, I, lo I love this one. <laughs> okay. I, I love this one because... I, I love when characters are trying to stay the same as much as possible and their world is poking at them and punching mm -hmm. them in the face and saying, you can't stay the same. You have to grow. You have to learn. You have to change. Those are my favorite characters. I, so I, I love this. And the reminder that it comes around here, like that's, that's important because I, in my intro, I've established the, the fatal flaws of my character and here's where it gets tested after like the fun of the premise, the fun of them going into a new world and facing new obstacles and going to Top Gun and the kind of wide eyes of that whole situation. And now Tom Cruise has to learn how to let go of his issues with Goose so that he can make a better pilot out of Rooster and be a better man. Like it's all of that stuff. It's all the good character shit. And yeah. I love it. And I guess I think it's important to say that these moments, I don't feel like they have to be multiple moments. I feel like this could happen in one moment, like somebody kind of pushing back of the, ch the change that they've already had. And it's like, I want to I be the, the person that I was. The, when I read this, I don't know, I, I'm just a little, I'm a little conflicted. That's all. I like the idea what's, of wanting what's to- What's the conflict? Well, yeah. I, I like the idea of wanting to stay the same, but mm -hmm. I feel like doing- you know, an entire sequence, like an entire first part of Act 2B of, of pushing back doesn't make all the sense to me. Mm. Because I feel like at this point in your screenplay, you have many other obstacles that someone has to deal with. Outside obstacles. Outside obstacles. obstacles. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. But those plot obstacles, if you're writing a plot-driven movie, are still things that should confront your character. That's true in ways that make them uncomfortable. I'm coming around. The twist and turn for me is that I'm trying to fucking hold on to the past right now and I'm I'm refusing to grow with this uh with this sequence. <laughs> so, uh, here I go. I'm I'm going into sequence 6. Get out now. of your status quo, man. Oh my god. Except sequence 6. Yeah. The culmination and a low point. 
where all of Act 2 culminates in sequence 6. They have steadily gotten more, things have steadily gotten more and more difficult for the protagonist, all leading to this culmination or this low point of Act 2. And at the end of this sequence 6, the protagonist finds themselves at a point of either culmination, the positive or low point negative that directly leads them to the next sequence, which is the climax. I fucking hate this shit too, by the way. Positive, low point. There's so many in in uh, story structures. There's so many like, if your protagonist fails at the end, then they need to succeed here. If they're, your protagonist succeeds at the end, then they need to fail here. And I'm like, what the fuck does that mean? That yeah. mean that's what formula is that? That's what? Here's the thing. <laughs> I just want to be very clear that we're not shitting on ScreenCraft. <laughs> not ScreenCraft, just the eight sequence structure. Well, Which I'm actually taken from other things. I actually, this weirdly makes sense to me. This eight sequence structure, it really does. I understand why this is broken up the way it is. But do you understand this positive negative thing? I think it just no. it confuses writers. Like I don't know how to write to that. I don't either. What I do know, I love low points, so I'm not shitting on sequence six being a low point. That is where it should be. <laughs> Your character should have a low point where everything is taken from them. The things that they thought they knew about themselves are not true anymore, and I have to find a new way. That is if you are writing a movie or a show that has a character who grows. I mean, you might not. You yeah. might have John Wick who doesn't grow and he's just awesome the whole time. Yeah, it's interesting because I've never written something that had a... A high point. I think I'm, I don't know what that looks like. I don't either. I think it for me, it's always like, okay, here's the low point. Like shit has hit the fan. You've lost everybody. But those are just the type of characters I like to write. But so I've never yeah. really. There are false wins. Like there's that. That's definitely yeah. a possibility, right? Where you your character thinks that. I mean, uh, the end of Die Hard Two, right? They think they've wow. defeated the terrorists, but really the terrorists has a plan C that you didn't even see coming. That's super fun. But I don't think that's the low point of your movie. That's just part of, that's part of act two leading to the low point. I just, I'm really impressed that you threw out Die Hard 2. Yeah. Um, When there's Die Hard 1 and <laughs> <laughs> Die Hard 3, which I think we all agree on is like one of the best Die Hards. So it's just crazy to me that you... <laughs> <laughs> it just went to two. But anyway, moving on. Sequence seven. This is it. This is the climax, the big moment, the massive fight scene, the come to Jesus moment where your protagonist must must change or die. Everything is on the line. The stakes have never been higher. It all happens in sequence seven. And we, Tasha, the audience, learn whether or not the protagonist succeeds or fails. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, to me, this happens after a low point. That's why yeah. I don't understand the positive, negative aspect of it. For me, it's always just, you know, if someone has examples of the culmination, that's a high point, and then it switches over, and then yeah. just please send it to us. I mean, maybe it is an example of where you think you defeat the terrorist at the low point, success. Yay, we're all celebrating. And then the climax is the terrorist's next real big attack. And you're like, mm -hmm. oh, fuck, I didn't kill the terrorists, I have to go after them now. Yeah. And so now my climax is recovering from the false wind and moving into this new climax versus say the low point is I, oh no, the terrorist has one-upped me yeah. and I have failed. And 
climax is, oh, I have a new idea of how to take down this terrorist. So it's just kind of twisting that a little bit. But again, I'm not going to figure that out by thinking, oh, I need a positive moment here because I need a fail at the end. That's not how I'm going to come to that story idea. I'm going to come to the story idea because I love the idea that Bruce Willis thinks he's won and he's just too cocky about it. And really my really intelligent villain that I love having crafted as being so intelligent has thought of everything and has a new plan. Like that's how I'm going to come to this idea. I'm not going to come to it because I'm cramming it into a structure, Mm -hmm. which is why I hate structures. Mm. There's me again trying to... (laughs) Sorry, this is important to talk about still. (laughs) No, this is very, very important. I feel like what we're doing is working through our our issues with it in real time while we're talking about this uh, eight sequence structure. Yeah, because here's the thing. One more thing, <laughs> please. <laughs> oh, God, I have a whole I have a whole like document on my desktop of story structure that I've stolen from different books mm-hmm. and websites, and it includes a lot of these eight sequence structure examples. And many of them are eight sequence structures, but they're all different. Like we just read you sequence seven with the climaxes. Here's sequence seven in this other story structure. The revelation allows our hero to see victory and he rejoins the battle with new fervor, finally turning the tables on his antagonist and arrives at apparent victory. And then the tables turn one more time. Yeah. That's very different. That's, that's but it's, okay. That's a different, a whole different idea. <laughs> it's fucking, it's hard to comprehend. Like that's the thing is, you're like, okay, the tables have turned. Oh, how do we turn the tables again? Like, that's difficult, I feel like, yeah. just to read and without really fully knowing what your story is and without fully knowing who your characters are and who are the characters who are going to double-cross another character and who has the potential to double-cross another character. And it's just really, really hard to do on the surface. Yeah, if you don't know what your characters are doing already in the story and how you want them to progress, just as a general 50,000-foot bird's-eye view of it, you're not going to be able to write to this. It doesn't doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. I'm going to read one more other story structures beat seven that, again, is really confusing and always would trip me up when I was coming up and starting to try to try to learn how to write structure. Okay. So this sequence says, sequence seven is the unexpected circumstances from the previous sequences raise the stakes and they create a new angle. Subplots begin to get wrapped up if the main tension is result or the effects of the main tension being resolved are dealt with. I have a degree in English and I don't know what that means. (laughs) I was just going to say, I have no idea what you just said. (laughs) Subplots begin to get wrapped up. Okay. Yes, that's okay. But I can't write, again, I can't write to that. I just know I need to start wrapping up my... B and C story here, but that's going to come intuitively. That's not, I can't shove that into this moment. So that's why I think my recommendation is write your screenplay first, write what you love, write what you want it to be, then come back to these story structures and say, okay, well, my climax isn't quite working or it is a little slower than I really want it to be. Mm -hmm. Hmm, Maybe I've forgotten to wrap up my subplots. Okay. Like, let me look at the subplot thread in my script and see if I can't get it to kind of wrap up around this section of the movie. They become helpful tips in that way. Yeah. So that's how Josh and I, I think would advocate you use these kind of eight sequence structures that you can find on ScreenCraft. Oh God. (laughs) Well, wait, we never read sequence eight. Sequence eight is the resolution. 
Yeah. Uh, it is the narrative epilogue. It's what happens to your characters after their success or failure during the climax, including a look at how they have been impacted by that success or failure. In this sequence, the journey we've been on since sequence one finally comes to an end and you fade to black. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, this is like, you know, the, you know, it's like the Biff Tannen moment. It's like he he punches Biff Tannen at the end. Or like, you know what I'm saying? It's like the passive guy all of a sudden now can stand up to his boss who's been a dickhead. Or mm-hmm. that's just, that's the resolution. That's just kind of to see how the characters have changed in the growth. But yeah. I, I agree with everything you just said in the sense of write your screenplay, make sure there, you know, there's things happening to your character, there's twists and turns, and then kind of go back and try to fit fit it into a structure if you want to in like a revision phase. I think that's probably the healthiest yeah. way to do this without beating your head, wondering how to write with this structure. Yeah. And if you do feel like you're someone who really needs structure to help write your script. It totally makes sense. I still do it all the time, especially if I just have a kernel of an idea and don't know how it's a movie. Like I just have a character that I love and maybe I have the ending. Well, yeah. I have no idea what the other beats are. So I will often pull up that that Word doc I have on my desktop that's all these different story structures. And okay, which one makes the most sense for me and for this story? And I'll start kind of plugging in moments that I think work given my characters and and it just kind of, that's yeah. a way I brainstorm sometimes so you can use it for that but usually when I'm doing that it's not okay subplot wraps up here it's not positive and failure here because that's confusing to me I don't understand that it is however inciting incident at 15 pages a break into act two at 25 pages a midpoint at page 50, a low point at page 75, a climax and a resolution. Those are the beats I do when I'm just brainstorming. Yeah. And that helps me see just the skeleton of this to help me continue to build out my story. And then, yes, I will go in to these weird subplot things and be like, oh, right. I totally forgot to wrap up the love story. I got to find a, a beat for that. And I actually have that problem in my current screenplay that I'm that I'm working on right now where um, I've gotten the note that like this mentor relationship I have between uh, my two main characters doesn't have a wrap up moment. I'm like, Mm. ah, shit, (laughs) if I'd only looked at that sequence seven (laughs) and the eight sequence structure, I would have remembered to do that. So these are, these are important and they do actually have an effect on your screenplay and people do notice when it's not there. Um, We're just, yeah, I'm just weary of advising people to follow these as your starting point. Well, so it's really interesting and I'm going to, you know, post this uh, World's End thing that I was telling you about. It's broken yeah, up in an cool. eight-sequence structure. I just looked at it. and That's amazing. What's crazy about it is I feel like it's a little more succinct. Like I'm looking at it and it makes sense to me. And I'm like, okay, I can see this. And sometimes breaking things up, at least for me, I find where you're like, okay, this is what the first part of Act 1 is. This is mm-hmm. the parts of Act 2. It doesn't make the screenplay so daunting. It's almost like you can look at it and it's like, here are the pieces. This is what happens in this sequence, this sequence, this sequence, where sometimes screenplays can feel like a big web of just mystery. Yeah. And I I feel like the more you can kind of wrap your head around it and it can be a little bit more of a linear thing in your brain, for me, it's helpful. You know what I'm going to do? Uh-oh. You have just inspired me. Yeah. And this episode has just inspired me. The script that I'm revising that I'm having some difficulty with in terms of seeing the full picture. I think I'm going to print out 
like the mini movies in the movie. Yeah. Like where all each section staple it separately and and read it and be like, oh yeah, this has no individual arc here. Yeah. And break it up that way. I think that's super cool. And I will keep you posted on if that works. But that's a great way to use this structure idea. Plot twist. You and I both are advocates for the <laughs> eight-part story structure. <laughs> it's something that makes sense to me now. All of a sudden, like, we've talked this through. I'm like, okay, you can break so you it up. We had a failure earlier. It was a negative, and now it's a positive. It is. It's so true. I can see, and I feel like I'm going to do it. And I actually did this with uh, something that I'm outlining now where I wrote, I was breaking down my act one. This was before reading this, by the way, but I was like, okay, mm -hmm. the first part of act one is this. The second part of act one is this. First part of, and you know, I was going through everything mm -hmm. and it was kind of this structure, but just in like my own brain. Yeah. You know, what would be interesting. The last thing I'll say mm -hmm. is we should one day write out what our structure looks like, like the, the Tasha theory and the Josh theory. Mm -hmm. And so if, if someone were to try to write a screenplay, it would be like, this is how Tasha <laughs> does it. This is how Josh the does act it. Two, the act two way of doing it. Yeah. I'm sure ours are different too. I, yeah, let's do it. We'll create our own eight sequence yeah. structure. Mine's like, part one, the fuck happens here? Question mark. <laughs> part two, payoff. Yeah, all of act two, all those sequences are just blank for me. Yeah. No idea. <laughs> anyway, so that's it. That's structure. We're constantly working through it. Like it or not, there's structure in screenplays, and I don't know where we fall in that. There is. You know, when you when you write in TV, structure becomes super important. Yeah, because you can't get away with lazy, lazy scripts. You can't get away with it because people will literally stop watching and they will stop making your yeah. show. <laughs> you know, so we do have to look at them definitely in acts. We definitely like currently right now. It's like, well, what is our act out? And even though we're not going to have commercials in the thing we're making because it's streaming, they're still like, well, what is the hook that's going to get someone intrigued to move on to the next sequence of your episode? Yeah. And those are important, important questions to continually ask. Mm -hmm. And I hate saying it too, because there's there's a sense of like, well, you're selling out. I guess there's a, right? I don't but care. I'm a seller. The reality is. You need your movie to be engaging. You, you have need to. your show to be engaging because it's a multi-billion dollar industry that requires people to come see your movie and show and pay for it. So um, giving them a boring movie or, or show just doesn't work in this model. <laughs> so <laughs> It's true. I mean, we live in an attention-driven uh, world and you have to be able to hold someone's attention and the way that you do that is by ratcheting things up and having twists and having turns and that falls within a structure. Structure makes people feel comfortable whether you know it or not. So we have to adhere to this and it in, in TV, I can only imagine because you're working within a specific time frame, you know, and, and you're like, okay, we have to hit this at this beat, this and this mark, this and this mark. So yeah. And for, for like procedurals, it's very literally, oh, yeah. we have to hit them at this minute. We have to hit them at this minute. And uh, they're super successful. And I'm never going to write a network show like that, but yeah. <laughs> I am paying attention to how do I... How, how do I make this show as interesting as possible? Because as an audience member, I'm all, I always love the moments where I'm like, holy shit, did they just do that? Of course. Oh, I need, I need to get back to that storyline. I need to keep, keep watching. Yeah. That's super fun. It makes watching TV and movies fun. So that's, that's what we're advocating. Just it making is. your stories more fun. <laughs> well, I'm just going to leave on this note. This is why like pop songs are so timeless and popular at all times. 
is it's a fucking like you put it into a factory and it comes out it's like the first it opens a certain way and then like second 30 it starts going into like it starts elevating and then it dips down it goes up dips down like we hear the same song over and over and over again but it's yeah. awesome every single time right and that's because we're just comfortable hearing it and we're gonna rock out to it because yeah that's what we love structure baby i'm all in i'm all in on structure now okay my last thing yeah is the when i became a, a true believer in structure <laughs> was when i watched jane Eyre, and i've told this story before i when i watched jane Eyre, the the, the new one the carrie fukunawa one mm -hmm. and it was like it's it it's literally to the page to the minute of where these turning points are that we've talked about mm -hmm. so I would challenge you to watch your favorite movie. And you're like, fuck you, Taja. Like, structure, I, I'm not going to listen to structure. Great. Watch your favorite movie and see if they hit these beats. And I bet you they do in really surprising ways. And you're like, oh, they also paid attention to structure. That's really surprising. Because if it's done well, you don't notice it's there. I think the lesson from this podcast is that you and I know that we need structure. But deep down <laughs> inside, we we fight against it. But like... Our true selves Not even are deep like, down inside, on the surface. Yeah, <laughs> on the surface, we're fighting against it, but 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 we know. And if we were yeah. in a room with someone, it'd be like, "There's no structure to this. There needs to be some kind of structure to your script." If it that's wasn't true. there, so it's true. That's Push just pull. it's just growth, Tasha. <sighs> We've grown up. An anxiety-inducing podcast. I feel like I've just run a mile. <sighs> yeah, I feel great. <laughs> All right, quote of the day. A screenplay is a living thing, and each piece, even though separate and complete, is a part of the whole. Structure, remember, is the relationship between the parts and the whole. Sid Fields. Oh, boy. <laughs> Please remember to rate and subscribe. Follow us at Act2Writers for more awesome writing stuff. You can follow me, Tasha, at Story Thursday on Instagram or on Twitter at Tasha 3.0. I'm Joshua Hallman on Twitter, Josh Hallman on Instagram. And as always, the Act2 podcast is a production of Act2, a network and support group for the everyday working screenwriter. This episode was edited by Paul Lundquist, music by 414 Beg, which you can find on Spotify. Spotify.